Welcome to the AR-15 Podcast. AR-15 Podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you if you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years. There is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. We're here as the AR-15 Podcast. I guess some of you have missed us. We get the occasional text from those that really love us. So we're going to catch up with you on this episode. Mike and I are going to let you know what's going on and uh, give you a little hint about what's uh, around the corner for us. And tonight we're going to give away our uh, AR-15 pistol. So hold on and stay tuned. We'll get to that at the end of the show. Mike, how are you doing? I'm good. You know, work's been busy and uh, it's uh, it's been a tumultuous you know, last few weeks, maybe even out as far as six weeks, but um, I did get a little bit of range time, and uh, I haven't gotten to go and sight in my uh, my latest acquisition, but I hope to do that in the next two weeks, hopefully. And uh, I don't know if you're around, maybe we can meet up someplace. You know, I'm always around. I mean, well, okay, I take that back. I, I wasn't around for a while. I turned 50 this year. In fact, I turned 50 like a week ago. So, um, well, happy birthday. I was unaware, actually. Yeah, yeah. So it was great. It was a good time. My wife had a treat for me. We uh, did some traveling. Uh, it was a birthday surprise for me. Um, Where'd y'all go? We went to Vail. Nice. So it was very nice. You know, getting away from the Texas heat. Um, it was, <laughs> it was funny though, because, um, everybody in Colorado commented about how many people from Texas were there. Interestingly enough, most of the people that commented about how many people from Texas they had seen in Colorado were actually from Eastern Europe, uh, Serbia, Bulgaria, um, uh, Lithuania, uh, a lot of, uh, Eastern Europeans, uh, uh, coming to the U.S. to to get some experience with uh, speaking a language and and uh, exposure to Americans, so I think that's kind of interesting. But yeah, wasn't any of the the locals that were talking about how many Texans were there? Because apparently they don't work in Vail. Uh, it's a it's a tourism town, so I, I, I my guess would be when there's not a whole lot of snow, that there's not much to do. <laughs> you know what? No, that's not true because it's it's still a very outdoorsy area. Um, and there's a lot of hiking, some mountain biking. Um, there is a good deal of activity away from the resort. Uh, for instance, we went fly fishing, so that was kind of interesting. I mean, it was a good Now, time. were there any dynamic ranges that were outdoor where you could shoot steel? No, no. Although the, the airport was, uh, well, it was another rental car. The uh, facilities were out off of a uh, gun range road. So nice. <laughs> I'm assuming that somewhere along that stretch of that road is a gun range. Uh, <laughs> one would hope. One would hope. One would only hope. Um, so yeah, but you know what? It, it's just, it's been such a hectic time. I'm sure that the listeners are irritated as all get out because, uh, we haven't had a, uh, a string of consistent episodes, but, you know, we're doing some regrouping and, you know, uh, JD is, is, is working through some things, um, with, uh, with family and, and, you know, we're, we're sending good thoughts his way and, and we know he'll, he'll make it through, but, you know, it's just hard. Life is, you know, no one promised life was easy. 
And, uh, you know, anybody that thinks it's supposed to be is an idiot. Um, <clears throat> what's that? Or selling something. Yeah. So, you know, you soldier on, you get through it, you, you do your time, you pay your penance. Um, and hopefully on the other side, you, you either grow from the experience or at least you extricate yourself from whatever crap it was you were wading through. Um, and you know, that's just life. And sure. so, you know, he's, he's got a good support group. He's got a lot of people to care for him. So, you know, we're, we're rooting for him. I know it's tough, but you know, well, we wish JD all the luck. So, uh, and hope to see him back soon. Yeah. And you know, I think it's not that he's, he's not leaving us. It's just that he's not as available as he, as available as he has been. So, you know, I think that that'll change. That'll change. It always does. I mean, everything's on a cycle. Yeah. And, uh, it'll even out. You know, um, I've, I've got a couple of interesting things on the fire, um, or a couple of interesting irons in the fire. You know, I've got a, a rifle that, um, the guys at Mad Dog Weapon Systems have put together. Well, they, they sent me the barrel and the bolt, uh, on a new chambering that they've come up with, a new Wildcat. Uh, it's a 6.5 Timberwolf. And I'm real excited to, I've got the rifle built. I've got some glass. You know, I've got everything I need now. So I need to just get it out and get some trigger time on it. And I mean, I'm really excited about it. Now, now I actually am not familiar with the Timberwolf, um, you know, Wildcat. Is, is, how is it different than the 6.5 Creedmoor? Or is there a difference? I actually don't know. So I'm well, curious. The 6.5 Creedmoor, I'm trying to think. I think the Creedmoor is, Let's look that up. I think it's based on a 308 cartridge. Let's see. You know, yeah, Sammy I, specs on it. Yeah, it says it's based on the 308 Winchester. Now the the Timberwolf is based on a six millimeter Dasher, and I don't know. I'm gonna check that real quick. And see if that is based on a Winchester. Yeah, it's based on a 308 Winchester. You know, in, in practical terms, the difference is that on a Creedmoor, I'm having to use an AR-10 platform and a Timberwolf, I'm able to use an AR-15 platform because the length of the cartridge is sufficiently short to get it into my AR style magazine. Uh, I'm using the, what, uh, six eight uh, with SPC. I'm not familiar at all with the cartridge, but I'm using magazines for that round. It's the six eight, and um, it's using the six millimeter Dasher brass that's based off the three hundred eight Winchester um, brass. You know, it's it's shortened and it's neck down, and I think they um, changed the geometry of the shoulder, and they're able to put enough powder in there to get the performance that they want and you know they're contending that it will uh match the ballistics you're getting out of uh a number of the creedmoor rounds i mean that's my understanding um based on what they're able to do with the ar-15 platform and that's pretty interesting because having having it neck down and, and the geometry um, reconfigured so that it can fit in an AR style magazine and a standard AR platform. 
I mean, that in and of itself, even if the ballistic capabilities are only in the same neighborhood, at least you're getting um, midway between usability and then those ballistic performance goals that you want to see out of the creed for. So I think that's pretty interesting. I've never heard of that before. And uh, obviously, it's kind of a, an esoteric round. So, well, it's a wildcat. It's, uh, it's something that they've, they've built, you know, on their requirements, their expertise and <clears throat> their, um, their experimentation. And, you know, what they're, they're doing is preparing a cartridge that has, um, I, I guess, uh, perhaps you'd say it's a, a different, um, pressure profile. Because they're burning faster powders that you wouldn't tend to use in the Creedmoor in an AR-10 platform. They're using powders that, you know, are closer to what you might see driving the, you know, high-speed 223 rounds. And so I'm not sure about um, everything that allows them to get there. But I think that's what they're trying to capitalize on, being able to use well, faster burning powders. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I think the listeners would be interested to see, to uh, to hear your first impressions about how they how the two compare and uh, what kind of performance you did get out of it once you do have a chance to go out and take it out for a spin. Well, and I have a, a six five Creed more that I have put together that I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get it up and running and. Get it side out by things. side, and then see if you can uh, see if you can shoot quarter size groupings at you know three hundred yards or whatnot. No, we'll see. I'm going to try to take them out to a thousand. <laughs> well, and you know another thing, I um, I uh, finally laid hands on a um, a, uh, a Springfield 1903 A3. Mm. So I'm interested to to get that in and uh, take it out to the range and shoot it. You know, it's a thirty out six, but it's the uh, it's it, it's the core um, Mauser uh, platform with the American modifications to bring it up to the A three. <clears throat> so, I mean, for me, that's kind of exciting. I'm excited to get that in there. That's a bit of history, and uh, you know, if you ever need to drop a dinosaur, at least <laughs> have something to do it with the. Uh, my latest acquisition is actually an IWI Tavor, and um, I, I know it's blasphemy on the AR-15 podcast, but it was some of my friends were we were sitting around talking about it, and you know, admittedly, I'm not as versed in some of the the mechanical aspects of of uh, all the ins and outs of everything about ARs, and they were asking me why I chose that because they one of them is a is an ex third ID guy. And he said, you know, I, I, I came up on M4s and M16s. I just don't want to deviate. Why, why would you do that? And I told him, I said, you know, aside from magazine and ammunition interchangeability, I like the idea that it's four inches shorter than an M4, but I still get a 16 inch barrel out of it because of the way the bullpup design works. And so if we extend the logical thought of this is a self-defense weapon, um, it's a self-defense rifle, but in an urban environment, I mean, I'm not, I'm not stalking through the jungle. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm not a soldier. So if I'm going to use this in my house or I'm going to use this in an urban environment, heaven forbid, then I would, it's, it's good because the weight is in the back. You can use one handed, you can open doors and it's of course more compact for a smaller profile. So plus it just looks cool. I'm not going to lie about that either. <laughs> uh, like I should have said that I should have let off with that. It would give more credibility. It looks awesome. 
and all these other things. <laughs> we know back in the day at the w- one of the earliest shows that we had, we were at the Houston NRA show, the NRA annual meeting, and we talked to the guys from IWI. This was back when they were just bringing in the Tavor. And uh, I talked to a young Israeli Defense Force officer who'd been part of the group that um, put the Tavor into the hands of um, their operating units. And they started off, I, I believe, based on our, our my recollection of our interview, I think they started off with their um, their special forces guys, getting them up to speed on it and getting it. Um, integrated into their units before they handed it out to the rank and file. But, I mean, you have highlighted what he pointed out were some of the driving factors in its design. You know, uh, imagine a an ancient city like Jerusalem, narrow streets, um, very tightly packed um, buildings and structures and having to go building by building clearing uh, a neighborhood or clearing a small city. I mean, it's the very things that you just pointed out that uh, drove them to design it the way they did. Well, that's really, uh, that's, that's actually good to hear that I'm not just talking crazy. Um, because when I look at it, I think to myself, all right, what are the practical applications of this? And I mean, my first rifle was an AR-15. I love it. Uh, I'm familiar with it. But you think about, all right, I'm going to go down my hallway. Well, what if I have to turn on a light switch or open a door? Well, what if I unfortunately turn the corner and the guy is close enough to put his hands on me? How, how does that, how does that actually work if the magazine is forward of the fire control group? Because, you know, one thing that I've actually heard in anecdotal stories from my friends who are, you know, servicemen and women and whatnot, they're like, well, one of the drawbacks is for, for the M16 M4 type platform is that if I want to do anything with my offhand, I can only hold that rifle up straight for so long and working the safety, which is, of course, very, very important. Where, you know, when you come off target, no matter what you're doing, it's just a matter of muscle memories reengaging it. It's very difficult because it's so front heavy. And, you know, and so some of the things that make it very um, usable and accurate also make it difficult to work in confined spaces and stuff. And so I picked it. I just picked one up one day and I was like, I, I think that this is a, a very interesting approach to it. I mean, the trigger is not as nearly as awesome as, as the one I have in my AR-15, but I think it just has a longer distance to travel. So it's uh, you have to give something to get something. And uh, at least my thought is I, shooting fast is probably not the thing that I need to focus on <laughs> hitting the target. Well, you know, JD is going to hold you in high regard because he, he just happens to love the Tavor. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, I heard they were making a Space Force, so I was just making sure that I had, was all stocked up and ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, you and I have been talking, and I know J.D. and I have been talking. We've been trying to, you know, get our head around, uh, you know, just the changes in people's schedules and how they are able to prioritize things. And so, you know, in terms of regrouping, you know, we still have – the team, uh, I think, I think we're going to shift some of the, the, the communications back to me so I can touch base with the guys that are, we're going to try to get in the queue to come on the show. And, and, you know, I think that, um, we're going to, we're going to give JD the breathing room he needs. You know, I know he 
desperately wants to come back on. You know, he's just having to, you know, fight an uphill battle to to get the time for it. And so when that happens, I'm sure that we'll get more JD. But, um, you know, I think we'll be able to get you and you will uh, try to get Anthony back on. And I know he's been busy. He's just uh, touring all over the place. I, I think I think maybe Anthony's trying to figure out how he can become a independently wealthy man of means and move out of California before it all goes to hell in a handbasket. Well, he lives in California. The cost of living is like 10 times that of everywhere except New York. So he could probably just move and by default, <laughs> he would become independently wealthy. There is always that. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to tell him that the next time I talk to him. But, you know, um, man, it'll be better. <laughs> and, you know, I think we've got some people that we could get on periodically. Tony Simon, I bet we could get him on pretty quick, pretty quick. And then Chad Wallace. And, you know, there's some other guys from some of the other shows and, so I think in terms of uh, being able to, uh, uh, you know, buttress and support the the things that JD's been doing, we'll be able to get that done. You know, obviously it's uh, it's kind of a you know change in momentum to suddenly you know downshift a couple of gears and have to try to redo all that and then have to get back up to speed. So you know, we appreciate you guys, uh, the listeners, uh, giving us some grace here and letting us. <laughs> Letting us, uh, I guess, have lives. So um, we do appreciate that. Um, So, you know, just hold in there. We've got some things. we got some things coming, some things percolating. We're getting the the system put back together, the machine. I think the wheels came off for just a little while, but I think we're good. Um, But, you know, hey, if you have any questions, suggestions, thoughts, um, offers, let us know. You know where to reach us ar15.podcast at gmail.com or you can go to uh, www.ar-15podcast.com and there you have the ability to leave us a message. Um, but either way, talk to us. Let us know what's on your mind. Let us know what is going on. Um, you know, we have a lot of you guys going to Facebook and communicating with us. Um, I have a, uh, a message from a party who shall remain unnamed who is pointing out that uh, – uh, Silencer Co. has some really awesome specials going on right now. Uh, you buy a, a given silencer and you get another silencer on them. So that's not a bad deal. I think he didn't want us to mention his name because he bought two and he hasn't told his wife. <laughs> so. <laughs> Wait, is that for real? I might have to text a few people directly following this podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's for real. I think it's buy um, one of the $600 range and get a Sparrow or the other 22. And then if you go into the next tier, you get a larger suppressor. But I don't know what the second tier suppressor is. But, I mean, that's not bad. I mean, I've got a Sparrow. I love that thing. Anyway, so, yeah, two for one, that's not a bad deal. That's, uh, that's a pretty good deal in my opinion. I'm not kidding. I just texted my friend. I'm looking to get one. I was like, get it now. Well, so, you know, we we had a uh, a couple of shows where we talked about what had happened uh, in Parkland, the, the shooting out there. And I think between our last um, – well, no. The last the last show we had was with the guys over there at um, um, Vortex and – 
you know, that, that's not a, the forum. We didn't even bring up that shooting in Santa Fe, but there has been a shooting, uh, and it, the intervening period between when we talked about Parkland and now. And, you know, Mike, you brought up a couple of salient points you wanted to have us talk about to kind of talk about the response to Santa Fe that really has kind of made it uh, an event that has not been the perfect, you know, poster child, you know, adding a log on the fire, you know, kind of event that you might have seen otherwise. So uh, why don't you kind of open up the, the, the door for this discussion for us, Mike? Sure. So, you know, my thought on it, Reed, is that you have, it, it's really a tale of two shootings, a tale of two tragedies. And I use the, that word loosely because a tragedy is usually associated with something out of your control, but this is, they're both acts of evil. And in the Parkland, in the case of Parkland in Florida, right, we have, a double-digit body count of, of, of students killed, students and faculty killed. And now the activists that emerged from that event are essentially household names. If you don't know their names, you at least know what they look like. And I, you know, for my part, I'm not going to give them any publicity by saying their names here, but you know who I'm talking about. The face of their marches and movements and Twitter campaigns and their boycotts and their die-ins and whatever. And that's fine. I, you know, I applaud you for your convictions, though I disagree with you vehemently. But on the other hand, you have the Santa Fe shooting, which also has a double digit body count for, for students and faculty killed. And the response to say it was muted is an understatement. So most people, if you were to stop the first hundred people that you see tomorrow and say, do you know what the Santa Fe shooting is? They probably, I would venture to guess that Many of them, I don't know how many, but many of them probably be unfamiliar. Whereas if you say Parkland, Stoneman, Dudley, Douglas, whatever, they probably would be. And I think that the reasons for that are several, but it's definitely worth noting that in the case in Santa Fe, one of the reasons, in my opinion, is that there is no black rifle to villainize. The perpetrator used a Remington 870 pump action shotgun and a 38 caliber revolver. And the reason that matters is because even some of the most vocal opponents of our position have taken the stance that I'm not coming for your daddy shotgun. And I'm, you know, you know, I'm sure we can all remember a time when uh, leaders in government said, just take your double barrel shotgun and put two blasts in the air if there's a prowler at night. And so the shotgun, the revolver. Uh, these types of firearms are generally considered unassailable because they don't have high-capacity magazines. They are not semi-automatic. They are not quote-unquote military-grade, although that's, of course, ridiculous. Um, but they don't fit any of the checkboxes for the perfect narrative, and I think that is one of the reasons why we haven't seen the type of fervent response and the marches and the, and the round of TV show appearances and whatnot by any of the uh, survivors so, I mean, like, what are your thoughts on that, Reed? I mean, do you think that that contributes to it? You know, I, I, I do. I think that there is a subtext, you know, in the playbook somewhere that says that, you know, this is the thing that we have to villainize. You know, we have to use the talking points um, to um, <clears throat> find a way to make this more egregious, more onerous, you know, and, 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 kind of use some puffery to make it, you know, 
smack the listener in the face. You know, the you know the the shooter walked into a high school with a uh, a full semi-automatic, and it Never was a, a military grade. You know, and and you know all all of the hyperbolic words that get everybody all riled up. Whereas you know, uh, a kid walks into a school with what is essentially a, a hunting shotgun and you know uh, an old police revolver. You know, the thirty eights were I think some of the original police revolvers back in the the early days before the invention of the three fifty seven projectile. So you know, no, they 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 don't carry the same weight because they've been spending years talking about how this horrible rifle is the thing that we have to be aware of and that we have to get rid of, and and you know it it it's I wouldn't hysterical is not the word that should be used, but it is so clear that the talking heads have a hard time reconciling what happened in Santa Fe because they didn't use the more lethal weapon. They didn't use the the more high-powered weapon. They didn't use the things that, you know, would be able to cause, you know, the number of fatalities that happened in Santa Fe. And, you know, of course, none of them have the 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 knowledge base or even some common sense that would, you know, argue against those weird claims they make um, that would make this something that could fit the narrative. They they basically painted themselves into a box. You know, it, it, it just strikes me now, just as I think about it, you know, if the next 10 school shootings are, you know, with revolvers and shotguns, they're not going to have anything to argue about. I mean, would you yeah, just well, kind of... As a point of, of of reference, think that I mean, if the next ten shootings were, were shotguns and revolvers, where would the left go with that? Because there isn't a military grade weapon, military grade weapon in their eyes, being utilized. There isn't a weapon that needs to be taken off the street. Nothing with a high capacity magazine. Nothing with all of the accoutrements that make them evil. Sure, and I, I think I, I have I mostly agree with that. I think there's a new my. My response is that it would be a little bit more nuanced, but for the most part, I, I definitely agree. And I think that in this case, the, one of the reasons why the response is so muted is because it's there is on the spectrum the very, very far end of the spectrum where they those people openly advocate for revocation of the Second Amendment, for you know confiscation, registration, all that other very, very extreme type of um, proposals. And the reason why I think that many of the politicians and spin doctors don't want the Santa Fe in the same way that the, the Sutherland church shooting was largely muted in response, you know, that did not play for 24 hours a day. Uh, the two heroes that saved the day were not interviewed on, on, on Oprah and whatever other, I don't know. That's how old I am. I think still think that's like the number one show, uh, whatever talk show there is, right. They just didn't do it because it doesn't fit the narrative. And it's because. The alternative is politically untenable to say, look, firearms, when used inappropriately or for evil purposes, are dangerous in the hands of dangerous people. And it doesn't really matter what type of firearm it is, because weapons in the hands of bad people are always dangerous. And so you do have a contingent of people on that end of the spectrum, but they are the fringe, like, 
quote unquote, unfortunately they're growing, but they are what are considered to be the fringe element that want confiscation, registration, no guns anywhere, etc. Most people who do not make the Second Amendment a priority, they really are largely indifferent. They're like, man, I wish we should do something about these school shootings. I don't own a gun. I don't really care. I'm not against guns. That's kind of the, 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 the texture of that type of conversation with a lot of people who don't participate in that, right? And so when the narrative does come out, they are the ones that the media is clamoring for votes is to, to sway their opinion. So when they can use the hyperbolic language and when they can use the scary sounding terms like military style assault rifle, it does sway them. If the next 10 school shootings or public shootings or whatnot, um, were done with revolvers and shotguns, I think they they would still have something to say. It would just shift from the easy low hanging fruit of physical features that they can put on television to a more drastic late eighties Brady campaign style of objective, which is we just need to make buying guns harder, but the expenditure of political capital to push that narrative is much higher than look at this high capacity magazine or quote banana clip as they, you know, as they paraded around on television, you know, and we see politicians holding up weapons and pointing them at the crowd and things like that. That's much easier because there's a physical object they can hold up and villainize. Right. right. But you know what I think is really kind of funny? If you look at it, so a lot of the early revolvers, I think, I think Smith and Wesson had a line of 38s that were M and P revolvers, which Mm -hmm. is basically military and police. Right. So, so they were military grade weapons once upon a time. And I'm sure if you look at the pictures of Custer's last stand, I don't think you saw any AR 15s there. And that well, and pump. you know, the, the pump action shotgun saw, uh, use, uh, was used to great effect in trenches during World War One. the old trench shotguns. So, you know, I'm, I'm struck by how ignorant, um, a lot of the talking heads are when they refer to these weapons in the way they do, because they really don't understand anything about firearms in terms of, you know, what's driven the advancements in firearms, what has caused the evolution of, you know, uh, firearms technology throughout time. They, they really are disconnected because they don't have a clue. Who was I? I was watching somebody, uh, maybe he's talking to Tucker. And he was going on about how the police are outgunned. And I wouldn't say that today. I mean, I would say that if you took your average 80s, maybe mid-90s patrolman and looked at what he carried, it was probably uh, a revolver or an early lower capacity semi-automatic and a shotgun. But now a lot of these guys carry patrol rifles. And I think SWAT teams um, have uh, traditionally been uh, kitted up with uh, gear that was closer to a military standard in terms of what they could use to support themselves. And I, I would I would tell you that, you know, by all accounts, fully automatic weapons um, are seldom, if rarely, ever used. I think there is that one group of armored bank robbers that had modified some AKs that were, you remember that? That was actually at the apex in the very middle of the assault weapons ban in California, which also has seven day waiting periods and restrictions on magazine capacity. Both of those idiots were felons 
and they also made their own body armor, which is also a felony for them to even be in possession of. And the and so that's actually the only instance in what I would consider very, you know, loosely using the term modern era where automatic weapons were used in committing any crime, and it would the ironies are found in that particular case. Oh, exactly. Because you know what? I'm I guarantee you that California had not passed the one specific law that would have prevented that. <laughs> they, instead, they just passed all of them, and none of them prevented that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I I personally disagree with the idea that the police are outgunned. Uh, and that phrase, I mean, like you said, if you wanted to talk about in the in the 80s when uh, the the detective special, you know, in 38 was still the the, the de jour for standard issue police departments or rural America, things like that, maybe, but modern police forces in major cities, they have MRAPs, they have IBA, they have flashbangs and SWAT teams and AR-15s and FLIR and drones and all kinds of things. I mean, that to see it even um, when when they get kitted up for riots, it looks like they're about to, you know, do an airborne drop into Afghanistan. Right. And I'm not necessarily even complaining, but I think that to assert that the bad guys have M60s and our guys have slingshots is kind of disingenuous. Um, and furthermore, I mean... Uh, Look, Clyde Barrow used the BAR, and he still got shot to bits by law enforcement. Uh, you know, during the uh, the era of the Untouchables, yeah. most law enforcement were using shotguns, and uh, the Chicago typewriter was the was one of the weapons of choice of the, uh, of in the golden age of the gangster. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely disconcerting when the bad guys have uh, rifles of any kind, <laughs> weapons of any kind. I would prefer they didn't. But that is, again, what makes them bad guys, right? Not yeah. their possession, but illegitimate use of it. But, you know, it's the idea of starting an argument with the presupposed conclusions. You know, why do we need something? Because I'm going to assume that there is no logical reason for the necessity, you know? Um, it, it, all of these people that step forward don't even have true points that you can argue because well, they lack they've the requisite set, foundational knowledge to, to have the discussion with you. I mean, well, if you want to, yeah, but even at that, when, when they they have all of these, you know, precatory conclusions, you know, conclusions that are already set before you even start the argument, you know, and I can't remember. Um, I'll have to go back and look at that clip. But I mean, Tucker had he had some excellent points, and this this legislator just could could not step outside of his little you know however many point you know talking points list to incorporate I guess a view from this different angle um, because, right, because it's gaslighting. You just have to keep repeating the talking exactly. points. So that- Say military style assault weapons that weapons of war don't need to be on our streets. And as long yeah. as they can keep saying that on air, every time they say that on air, they're winning. Right. Uh, right. Because it doesn't right. matter what they say. They're just getting the words out. Um, and uh, as a perfect anecdote, tangent, you know, it's, it, that's related directly to what you said. I have an uncle uh, who will also remain nameless. And <laughs> he told me once we were having this discussion, he said, and I quote, the only reason anyone would ever have a silencer is to murder someone. I asked him, I said, okay, so you're starting, you're starting your premise with your conclusion. And I mean, aside from a construction error, have you ever even heard 
what a what a, what a what a fire you know like a standard firearm sounds like with a spit. No. Well, okay then. So, contrary to popular belief, it's really not like in the movies where it sounds like you know a whipper will passing you by, and uh, you could you know it's, it's virtually silent. I mean, the name is kind of misleading. And, you know, he obviously had no retort for that, but it's a perfect example of what you're talking about, where people just, they come up with these half-cocked ideas and then they pass it off as not only fact, but when confronted with facts, they just ignominiously refute it with, I don't care, or I'm not listening to you, or you're a gun nut. You know, like, whatever, whatever the uh, the retort is, it's usually pretty nonsensical. So I think I found it. Um, yes. What was it? It's... Um Tucker Carlson grills Dim Rep, who calls for complete gun confiscation. And it was California Rep Eric Swalwell. And he did an op-ed and... Mm, trying to find a piece. Oh, yeah. He was calling for complete confiscation, right? And yeah. um, Tucker was saying that, well, wait a minute. What you're saying is that you're you're going to turn these people into felons the minute you declare their weapons illegal. And then Swalwell comes back with, well, we think that people will just give up their guns and so they won't be felons. And Tucker looks at him and says, do you really think that's going to happen? <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the whole argument was funny, but, you know, this is where Swalwell comes in with the whole thing about how, you know, we need to do it because, you know, our police forces are outgunned. And it's like, no, they're not. They haven't been outgunned for some time. You're saying some crap that's just ridiculous. Not to mention, if he's anywhere near Los Angeles, Los Angeles Police Department is better armed and equipped than, like, many first world nations. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you know, I'm sorry for the the moment I had to find this, but I, I just thought it was absolutely hysterical that, you know, these are the kind of nimrods that the Democrats put up to basically... Uh, advance their agenda. And you know what? Honestly, I hope that, you know, the, the, the great bell curve in the middle of Americans are not so easily swayed by a bunch of horse shit. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, I don't think that that's the, the case because the thing is about the Second Amendment is it's, it's not difficult to exercise it, but if you have no interest in it, it is easy for it to exist in the far reaches of the abstract and compare that yeah. to something like, for example, the Internet. Well, right? I, I, I agree with it. you in terms of the idea of what am I going to step forward and fight for? Right. Yes, I agree with you. But I also think that the great, you know, great bulk of our population who sits in the middle listens to some like someone like that and says, well, he's full of shit. You know what I, I mean? Also. I mean, I, I think that that BS meter has to exist on some level or else, you know, every time some guy from India calls and says they're from the IRS, that guy would be writing them a check, you know. Uh, every time that, you know, some email from uh, an Ethiopian lawyer with a, a great inheritance he wants to share with you, um, you know, they would be, you know, engaging them in a conversation. But they don't. I mean, I think the great bulk of people in the middle – I mean, they may not be PhDs, but I don't think they're dumb. I just think that they're good, hardworking people that have common sense and some street smarts and some, some, you know, some college. I mean, the full gamut of whatever it is. 
but they're not idiots. They, no, they're not so gullible that somebody like this is going to come up with his, you know, thousand dollar, you know, California legislator suit and and blow smoke up your butt and make you think all of a sudden, well, geez, I think that he's, you know, cut from the same cloth as me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with his stuff. I mean, I, no, I, I don't just, think they're stupid either. I think that a lot of the people, you know, on as far as measuring intellectual horsepower, probably do have the capacity to pull. To parse these things out, it, it, you know, it's just, uh, it's very difficult if it's something that is not of a particular interest, you know? So like, let's say you're not a gun guy or a gun gal or whatever. You're like, I don't, I've never been attacked, so I don't see the need for self-defense really. Uh, though the, the most education you have on the subject is watching Die Hard and, uh, you live in a nice neighborhood. Cops never really bother you. Nobody ever breaks in and, a, you know, Stoneman Douglas happens. And then they plaster the chainsaw bayonet flamethrower adapter and, you know, with an M203 grenade launcher on it. And they're like, this is an AR-15. And, and, and the talking heads say, these are weapons of war. These are things that get issued to the army and blah, 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 right? Navy SEALs use this to kill bin Laden and all this other, like, inane nonsense. And you're sitting back and you go, yeah, I don't know why anybody would need that. Uh, and, and then you go about your day because you don't really give it much thought. But it does crop up again. You know, and so I really hope that you're right. I hope that there's that they're perceptive enough to go. This guy's an idiot. Well, you know, and, you know, to that point, you know, I, I think there's two things that just that, that come to mind when you say that. And I think one of them is that a lot of the people that sit back and say, yeah, we should ban that. I, I really don't think that they're in the middle. I think they're closer to the, you know, the extreme. They're they're the 15 percent on whatever side of the. The bell curve, you know, agrees with that item. Um, and so it's easy to preach to the choir. But I also believe that, and, and we've seen it in various times in history. I also believe that when you get the middle mobilized, that they come down like a tidal wave on the people who are spouting nonsense. Sure. And, day. you know, I, hold out the belief that the great weight of the people in the middle really do think that there's something sacred and important about, you know, the way the framers made our constitution and the bill of rights. I think that they would stand up and come down like a tidal wave on anyone that would try to alter those things in a way that would benefit a minority. You know what I'm saying? I just yeah, I think so. Oh, sorry. I hope that they would stand up and be heard. I mean, look at Delaware, right? Right. You know, I think that, you know, yes, there were a bunch of guys that were in the know and, and on the side of, um, you know, they, they were, they were there, you know, three standard deviations out on their side of the bell curve, but they stood up and they went down and they talked to their legislators. They voiced their opinions. They were very vocal, very visible, and their opponents we're not. And so uh, that ban got basically voted down. So regardless of the momentum, if the middle stands up, every one of those Democrats, every anti-gunner out there is a politician first and an anti-gunner second. And they will save their seats and save their butts and save their careers before they ever try to vote on a piece of legislation that will cost them that. If they see the middle stand up and take a stand. Now you're right. Yeah. 
They're not vested. They're not the, the, the outliers. They're not the people that are talking the loudest about it because it means the most to them. But I just, I just hope that that middle recognizes the value of what was laid out before it's taken away because then it's really hard to get it back. I, you know, I think that right there is, is, is it. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I hope they, I hope that that is all true. And I mean, to go back to the Stoneman Douglas comparison, right? And this is like a good segue in uh, to the second point that I wanted to make is that the amount of misinformation that is, that is promulgated by either intentionally or unintentionally by people about the, um, the use and effect of the way firearms work is incredible. And I'll, I'll give you a perfect example on Twitter. There is a, uh, a, a picture, a Twitter picture going around of some protester holding up a, a, a sandwich board saying, this is the whole size hole that is made in a person from an AR-15 round. And I swear I to God, that. it's like the size of a bowling ball, right? I mean, oh, you yeah. would have to get, yeah. get hit by a, like a three inch artillery piece to get a hole like that. And what's ironic is that Again, did you see any of that after the Santa Fe shooting? No, but the, the perpetrator used the Remington 870 shotgun. Now, I, like I watch, uh, I follow a number of YouTube channels. Uh, one of them is Active Self Protection. I actually saw a video clip of what a double lot buck 12 gauge shotgun will do to someone's forearm, and there was daylight through it. You know what I mean? It was like it was legitimately a hole that he, it just blew a hole in his arm, and so that would actually be more of an accurate statement. Um, Anyone who's ever shot a five by six at, at a paper target knows that the hole is very, very small. Uh, so when, when they put stuff up up there like that, and then it gets retweeted 10,000 times or put on Facebook or whatever. I mean, right now we have a rash of photo. I'm not going to get into the topic, but there's a rash of photos going around saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. And turns out that the photo is not accurate it's from six years ago or whatever. But people want to be first. They don't care about being right. And so those types of things, I think play to their advantage because I think the journalists, the pundits, the anti-gunners, they know that being first to spin the narrative, being a spin doctor is more important than being right because later on the retraction is about half a line in the on the back page, so to speak, if we still mm-hmm. had newspaper. Uh, or, by the way, we were wrong about that thing yesterday, moving right along, and then they just kind of blow by it. But the opinions are already made from it. So. Well, you know what I think is the, the kind of the sad commentary on our society? I mean, how many times have you seen a post where somebody says, if there aren't photos, it didn't happen? You know, if you you don't post a photo, it's not real. You know, I think that there are actually people that believe that when they see a photo, well, okay, that must be real. There's no analysis that takes place that, that causes someone to look at something critically and either form an opinion outright because of, you know, the fallacy inherent in the photograph or to take whatever suspicion one might have and investigate further. It's almost just knee-jerk acceptance. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I believe the phrase is pics or it didn't happen. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of incredible because we have i mean like there's two words for you photoshop right i mean you can make memes out of anything you can do whatever and a lot of the time the information is taken at face value which therein again goes to the that acceptance that you're talking about is a lot of people um the middle of the road people on any issue it doesn't actually have to be about the second amendment it could be anything you could take something like uh, i mean i don't know some agricultural issue 
that I'm very ignorant about and they could put it up on the news. And if that happened, I only hear what they told me and I'm like, well, I guess that seems like a good idea. But if I were a farmer, I might know a lot more about it and care more a lot, uh, a lot more about it. Um, so it would be easier to fool me because I, I don't really care and I don't really know. So, um, that type of acceptance that you're talking about where it's like, Oh, I just, I saw a Twitter picture of it. It must be true. And it's usually not. <laughs> In fact, it's most often not. Well, and you know, that is, that's sad. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm 50, right? So I, I span a, a period in time that has incorporated a lot of really interesting things, you know, cause I can sit down and talk to my kids about watching a black and white, um, television with 13 channels and, and having to actually stand up in front of the TV and twist the knob to change it from one channel to the next, you know, having no wires at the back of my TV, but a plug. And, and having an aerial come out the top, two little rabbit ears. I mean, these are completely foreign things to my children today. You know, my TV was a box with a, you know, screen on the front that was kind of like a fishbowl, you know, compared to your flat screen television that mounts on a wall and it's flat as can be. But, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, uh, I, I learned to take pictures with 35 millimeter film. I learned to develop film in a dark room. I learned to, to print photographs on paper and process them. Today, you don't have to do that. You know, the degree of, of skill and, um, I don't know, difficulty to take a 35 millimeter negative and alter it. I mean, to me, it's staggering. I mean, I know what happened, but you know, somebody had to be interested in making something look a certain way really, really bad for it to happen. Whereas you can take a digital pick and with a little bit of practice and a piece of $35 software, you can make it do anything. I can put Britney Spears' head on the top of a, you know, uh, terrier and you make it look, you know, fairly real. But, you know, the sad thing is, is that there's some Nimrod out there that might actually look at that and wonder what the hell is Britney doing these days? Living on a non body. Well, I mean, yeah, and it's it's never more clear than again. Um, I, I'm not really ragging on California all that much, but there's just so much uh, comedic gold that comes out of that particular state from the legislators <laughs> that uh, I mean, it just lends itself to to examination. But uh, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with the 30 caliber ghost gun mm-hmm. guy, you know that kind of, or the irony of um, the California senator. He was in. He was an Asian senator, I think, and he was a very staunch anti-gunner and got busted for gun running charges. Oh, and yeah, so yeah. hypocrisy and stupidity abounds. I'm not saying anyone's perfect, but in this particular arena, you know, you have people making up words that don't really mean anything. And unfortunately, these people get to carry the weight of law behind them. So, you know, from a comparative standpoint on the Stoneman Douglas and the Santa Fe shooting, you know, for for all of you out there listening, um, you know, consider that. Definitely write in your responses as far as what you all think about it, because I'm sure that's probably cropped up in conversations over beers and meals and whatnot. And, you know, probably destroyed a few family holidays and things like that. But, uh, I mean, I realize I, I look through the lens of my own bias, but I definitely think that has a part to play in why, why some of these kids from one tragedy are uh, pseudo-celebrities, and some of them are virtually 
probably couldn't name a single person from that town. You probably don't even know where it is, um, except that it's in Texas. So, uh, and it, it begs the question, why is that? Well, I mean, there has to be a reason. And, and I, I would say that the cynic in me says that, you know, uh, Hagen is, uh, his buddy, uh, with the shaved head. Uh, the only reason that they're out in front of this thing like they are is for their own interest. It has nothing to do with this. I mean, you know, fill in the blank with whatever it is that brings the media to their front doorstep and they would have been front and center to be a part of it. Sure. It just happened to be the unfortunate and very sad loss of life that gave them the the springboard to be narcissistic, self-centered, and uh, opportunistic. Because at well, the end of the day, none of these people have anything to do with what is the crux of the issue, other than the fact of proximity. I mean, I sure. don't think Hog or that girl were shot. No. I don't think they actually saw the gunman in the act of shooting. I don't think so. But I don't they think did, they would have mattered. Huh? Even if they had, it wouldn't have mattered. It's a false argument to lend equivalency to um, that, you know, participation equals expert expertise. I've had the flu before. That doesn't make me an expert on epidemiology. Well, and that's not even, I mean, it's, it's not like they were, I mean, we're, we're not even talking about that. I mean, we're talking about proximity. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was next to. You know, it, it's like saying, well, my cousin had the flu or a friend of my cousin had the flu. Therefore, I'm an expert on the flu. Right. You know, I mean, I think I think it, it's even further removed than that. Sure. I, I agree with you. I think that, too. And, you know, there is a part of me that wants to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, there is a there is a political that with a famous podcast show that um, I'm going to steal from him and say, I, I generally try not to attribute malice where stupid will just be, will do just fine. And <laughs> I mean, it, it, either one is equally likely, but I, I one of them requires more effort. You know, stupid is like falling down, whereas malice requires actual forethought. Yeah. And in in the case of you know the very vocal Stoneman Douglas kids, look, you know they were when I say there, it's there in air quotes. I'm not in, talking about in the room, but I mean, yeah, it's your it's your school. Maybe they were your friends. Maybe you knew them, right? Um, and so, and, and they're, they're children, they're minors, right? Like if they were in court, their names would be redacted at this point. But so to, to look at it through that lens, I'm like, yeah, of course, of course you're upset. And I, and I understand that. And of course you want something to be done because I understand that too. Everybody does. And of course you think you know everything because you're 16, right? Of course, you know, in your 1.5 decades on the planet, you've got it all figured out. You know better than everybody else. And we don't care about what was written on a piece of paper because we're going to levitate buildings with love and change the world and, you know, whatever. <laughs> so it's great. And I, and I, I know I don't mean that to be uh, cynical towards them. I mean, I understand why they would have that visceral feeling, but at the same time, we don't let the inmates run the asylum. Your children were adults. Um, when you can vote, then you can go and do, do whatever you want. But until that time, I'm not really interested in your opinion. Right. Not, 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 not at least on, so, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't mean I think they're right. Well, and I mean, you know, it's it's kind of the the worst aspect of what essentially Hollywood does. I mean, mm-hmm. you have a guy who pretends to be someone else for a living, um, and they're going to come and tell you that you should 
believe this because that's the way it ought to be. Um, because they're somehow gifted with that insight because they can pretend. Sure. And the only reason they have that mouthpiece, the only reason they can say those things is because they have that celebrity recognition. And you take a kid in this situation and give them the celebrity aspect of it, their 15 minutes of fame, which is so far removed from, you know, someone who may spend a lifetime perfecting a craft, entertaining people, and gaining uh, legitimate admiration for their art, not their politics or their stupid opinions, but because they may act well. Um, you know, at least you can understand why someone will look at that guy and, you know, think, oh, I'm going to listen to what they have to say. But the 15 minutes of fame guy, I mean, seriously? I mean, there are girls on video and Girls Gone Wild that have 15 minutes of fame, and nobody listens to them talk about, you know, what we should do at the border or, you know, what our foreign policy ought to be, much less what American domestic policy ought to be. Are you trying to tell me that you don't call Cato Kalin and ask him how you should conduct yourself <laughs> in everyday life? Uh, no. I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, well, and, you know, you pointed out something, you know, 1.5 decades on the planet. I mean, these are the same kids that would want a coach fired because he made them do laps when they didn't want to. They would have some, you know, school-wide hissy fit. Um, the only difference here is that something that, you know, is unimaginable happened, and they're just stepping on the coattails of that to have their 15 minutes of fame, to, you know, have their moment of, you know, indignation. You know, you're right. Everybody who is affected by those kinds of tragedies will suffer something by its proximity to them and their lives, whether it's, oh, my God, someone I knew died or someone I knew got shot or, you know, it could have been me. Whatever it is, I mean, yes, they're affected, but you're right. Proximity does not equal expertise. It does not equal uh, anything in the way of, you know, grounding in policy, politics, any of those things. All it says is that I know what it is to fear. I know what it is to be anxious. That doesn't mean anything with regard to these discussions. No. I mean, it's like saying that you got, uh, you know, you got tackled once. I mean, so you can comment on the uh, NFL tackling policy. That's ridiculous. It doesn't, it is a false equivalency. And unfortunately, the reason that it's allowed and, and, you know, it is permitted in general is because there's this pervading thought that um, you can't assail victims of tragedy. And, not, and furthermore, it's compounded by the fact that they're minors, which is convenient because they're minors when you want to hit them back. But if they want to say something, then they're the they're the voice of a generation. and We should listen to them. Well, you know, if you inject yourself into the public arena, you know, it's you sign that boxing waiver, you step in the ring, you get hit in the face like everybody else. Yeah, um, yep. and that's that. That is, if you're old enough to have an opinion, a public opinion, you're old enough to hear other people's public opinion about whatever it is that you're talking about. And uh, you know, I think that it's unfortunate that I, I personally think the, those kids are getting played, and that's one of the reasons why you didn't hear anything about Santa Fe because when interviewed, there was there were a few news articles mainly out of Texas that that said. Um, Hey, look, when, when, when polled, the residents of the town did not overwhelmingly support gun control. In fact, the majority of them were against it. They, they said, this is our problem. This is a person, people, evil problem. 
the tool doesn't do anything. And that's again, because this is Texas and we have a, 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 a history of, you know, and a romance with firearms as opposed to other places that either in the distant past had such a relationship with, with these types of tools, but no longer, or they just never did. And so I think that there are many people who are propping these, these victims up and they are, they are manipulating them for their own ends. I mean, think about their ages. If they, if this was a different type of event, their names would be redacted in court. But yet they're still able to make the rounds on television. They're still able to organize a half a million people to go descend on Washington, D.C. I mean, the logistics of this alone, uh, buses and facilities and water and permitting and all these other things. And I'm to believe that a bunch of 16-year-old kids did this in a matter of weeks. Doubtful. Oh, hell no. Uh, no, I mean, you try to get 12 of your friends to go to the movies at the same time, and it's impossible. So, I mean, let alone organize something like this with no prior experience where the most you've ever well, organized is a student council meeting. Hell, more than that, you know, have a bunch of kids organize something while trying to get them to get their heads out of their Instagram accounts or their Facebook accounts on their iPhones. Like, sure. Seriously? I mean, yeah, it, that too. <laughs> it takes It takes grown-ups to do that. It takes yeah. professionals who know what they're doing to do that. It, it's not something that kids can do. Well-funded grown-ups at that. And so yeah. – you know, to, to that end, you know, I think that it's it's disgusting that these like because I'm sure that these these children legitimately believe what they're saying. I believe that they believe it. And they're being exploited by people who are pushing that the, the same agenda where they are useful idiots. And well, they say, hey, we can use these because they are unassailable. You know, to, to that point, I think there's another uh, thing that I think is is there. I mean, you're talking about a community that is. You know, but my estimate that 70%, they're just good people. They're in the middle. But they're the same good people that know that there is evil in the world. And they're the same good people that know that it's a people problem. Because these are the same people that know what it is to use a firearm. The same people that know what it is to have somebody, you know, round the bend and lose their marbles and decide that this is the way to take care of a problem. They understand that. So they're not going to come in and be the the outlier that's going to jump on some, you know, mom's demand action bandwagon with the, the what's his name? Bloom, whatever. Bloomberg and Bloomberg, George Bloomberg, Soros. Yep. I mean, seriously? No. I mean, these are the people in the middle. I contend that that is the middle of America right there. And they're all over the place. But, you know, and, and, and at, at Stoneman Douglas, I bet there are enormous numbers of them and we've heard by you know the tales that many of them were not allowed to participate yeah i mean to be fair um like kyle kashuv is one of their classmates and he in his own right ascended to a, a, some degree of prominence by being the opposing voice but uh, i think he has a lot less help than than the others so i mean overall you know, I contend that one of the reasons why you didn't hear about Santa Fe, despite the fact that there are double-digit kills, is that there's nothing that they can point to that will fit their narrative, which in and of itself, at first glance, is nothing. But when you really stop and think about how sinister of a thing that is, you say, oh, well, those 10 kids, they don't really, they don't really count. It doesn't really matter because if it bleeds, it leads, right? We don't, they are not useful to us. Right. Uh, so we're, we will disregard it. Never mind that. We have lessons that are learned out of the Santa Fe shooting. For example, you know, public source information states 
that the police officers engaged the shooter within four minutes and they had a, they had a run and gun battle with him. They were, sh- they were close enough to each other to shout back and forth and they captured him alive. So, okay. So that's good. What do we learn from that? Um, well, one that, um, apparently we do things differently in Texas than they do in Broward County. And two that, uh, you know, armed response legal when met with lethal force, most oftentimes the bad guy folds. Um, but again, that's not talked about. We're not getting any of the actual silver lining information that could be pulled out of such a god awful tragedy. But, uh, and, and why? Because it doesn't suit the narrative. So I think that's a really sinister thing. And, uh, I just think that in terms of, uh, its relation to this podcast, it's Black Rifle. This is the Black Rifle show. And, um, the absence of news on a, on the Santa Fe shooting is very telling as it relates to that Black Rifle. Absolutely. Well, I think maybe we should uh, shift gears here and start talking about what has been a very highly signed up for giveaway. We've had it for a while, and I know that JD had wanted to uh, make the call earlier um, in the month, but as I said, there were things that kind of sidelined us. But tonight, we are going to announce the winner of the new Frontier Armory C-45 side-charging pistol. I don't know how many of you guys are uh, in the queue or signed up for it. I'm sure that you are all very anxious to hear the name. So without further ado, the winner is J.D. Smith. Wait, what? No, 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 I'm kidding. Yeah, it obviously should be me. If you call anyone's <laughs> name but me, I'm going to be extremely upset. No, no. It is not anybody affiliated with the podcast. The name is Craig Carter. Craig, we have your information. We are going to reach out to you. So you will have to respond to our attempts or you'll lose out. But we have your information. We will get the ball rolling. And you, sir, are the winner. Now, if there are more than one Craig Carter, well, we're sorry. It's only the one that we call that actually wins it. All the rest of the Craig Carters did not win it. So I'm just saying, all right? Congratulations, Mr. Carter. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit jealous. So, Craig, we'll get the ball rolling. We'll get a hold of you. And we'll get this thing out to you as soon as New Frontier Armory can get the work done. Okay. So I guess that's the episode. We're going to try to get right back into the saddle next week. Get another one out to you and just keep the ball rolling, guys. So hold tight. Bear with us. We'll be back there soon. And so with that, if you have any questions or comments, send them to ar15.podcast at gmail.com or go to the website, www.ar-15podcast.com, where you can also leave a a piece of feedback or a question or comments. Uh, We'd ask that you subscribe and listen to the AR15 podcast for free. Uh, on iTunes or on Stitcher, and when you do, to leave us a review so the show can place higher in the searches for potential listeners. Uh, you can share your pics with us on Instagram at AR15Podcast and tag your uh, pictures with hashtag AR15Podcast. Finally, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash AR15Podcast. And with that, uh, I want to let you guys go and wish you a good night.
This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv.